receive honor, not just to give it. And so I do receive that honor. But I also want to just say that the person that never is seen on the stage, that prays when no one else sees, will probably receive more honor than the guy that's in public. Did you hear me? Can we turn these lights down? I like to see who I'm talking to. It's okay if you can't do that. But I think of Dan Bauman and his story. I want everybody to get the two uh, tapes or whatever. You don't do tapes anymore. But Dan Bauman's story this afternoon just a radical lover of Jesus and souls. And then Banning's, uh, Banning's message last night was one of the finest I've ever heard about getting into the scriptures as a foundation and then out of that carrying the prophetic word. I want to encourage you to get those two messages and soak yourselves in them. I think it's so interesting the kind of uniqueness of these messages. You've got the Bible you got evangelism missions, and then you get the prophetic weirdos. <laughs> and then tomorrow you get Bethany. So thank you, Bill, for, for your love. And you're a good writer. So I'm done. <laughs> so interesting this turning the moment into a movement. I've written down here in the, in the front page of, of, my, of a book that I'm writing. I'm calling, uh, the book is called The Jesus Fast. And it's coming out in March. And I'm so excited about it. Maybe you aren't, but I'm excited about it. And it started when the man asked me, if you were preaching to 10,000 people and you knew that what you were going to preach on would instigate the third great awakening, what would you preach on? <laughs> Dan would preach on Jesus, you know. <laughs> but instantaneously when he said that, my heart, I just began to weep because it touched me so deeply and, and this is what I would preach on. I would, I would preach on Jesus' 40-day fast. <laughs> Thank you very much. The book basically starts about the Jesus movement. And, I, and it says, if you are thinking about that wonderful and strange outpouring in the 1970s where everyone was getting saved called the Jesus Movement, you're 2,000 years late because there was an original Jesus Movement. And before there was an original Jesus Movement, there was an original Jesus Fast. You say, well, Lou, you're just one of those weirdos. A man can receive nothing unless it be given to him from above. I can never live the story of Dan Bellman. I can be inspired by it and follow it the best I can. 
But a man can receive nothing unless it be given to him from heaven. This is tremendously freeing that we don't have to live anybody else's story. We can be inspired and follow those stories. But we have a story we can hardly not live out because it was written by God before we were born. Which is glorious that he wrote a story about our lives before we were ever born. I think I preached this here last year. But I just can't get away with it. Away from it because I love Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our story. That is good news. It's not all up to you. If there's an author, there's also a finisher that is able to bring you out of your dog days and make you enthroned with Jesus as a son of God or a daughter of God. I've said it before, I'll say it again. When God saw you, he had a dream about your life and then wrapped a body around that dream to fulfill it. Oh, somebody should get happy. He had a dream about your life and he wrapped a body around that dream to walk it out. There's an inward DNA going on inside of you and you think you've got to make all the decisions. There's a voice inside of you. <laughs> Sown from the beginning of your divine DNA that has Christ's DNA inside of you. You can hardly not fulfill the will of God for your life. If you are loving him and seeking you, you can hardly not fulfill the will of God for your life. Somebody should get happy. Because you're thinking, well, man, I just don't know what the heck to do. I received a prophecy 35 years ago that I'd be a prophet to the nations. I was mowing lawns, making $4 an hour, struggling with sexual sin. And they give me this prophet. The Lord says, Jeremiah, morning, you shall be a prophet to the nations. From your mother's womb, I called you. I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> but 35 years later, I wonder how I made the decisions I made. It was someone else that was working to will and to do his good pleasure. Come on. There's a story that God has written about our lives. And the glorious thing is that our stories meet one another's stories. God's great novel is much bigger than yours. You're a chapter in the storyline, but there are thousands of chapters. And that has something to do with a story that God's writing about America and every tribe and every tongue. It's in the book. Read the great story. And God wants to inject you into an epic storyline. Oh. So, so I write about the Jesus fest. The reason I write about it is it's, God hooked me. I can't get away with it. Why would I like, well, hate, but like to do fasts? It's just uniqueness of divine DNA. I think about my, in 1999, this is YWAM or God. This, it's always YWAM.
The Wywamers, they show up everywhere. They're just the dwarves, you know. This guy named Bob Fitz, his son was a worship leader. He comes to me in 1999, and he says to me, Hey, Lou, I haven't even done the call yet, so I have no clue why he wants me to do this. Would you help me call the world to a global 40-day fast? Yeah, sure. What are you talking about? <laughs> Obviously, I'd been doing these fasts and it got, got out, you know. So I prayed that day, God, if you want me to do that. I was reading a book called Atomic Power Through Prayer and Fasting. That glorious, weird book written in 1946 where a move of fasting took place out of San Diego a millions of these copies went all over the world, 46, 47, 48. And the world exploded into extended fasting everywhere. And then 47, 48, healing revivals break out. The latter rain outpourings, Billy Graham and Bill Bright, 48, 49. The fast releases the signs and wonders and the mass evangelism movement. I think there's a cycle here that there are times when Jesus was, when the time when Jesus was ekbalowed or driven into the desert to fast, it wasn't just a good idea. Some people think, oh, Jesus went into the fast. He's so weak. And oh, we just hope he makes it when the devil's tempted him and into his great weakness. Whoa, he made it. Oh no. Jesus' 40 day fast was a military operation. It says in Mark, the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was going to go take on the devil. Where in the garden, Adam failed. The last Adam went in to face. I think the devil was thinking, oh, I'll just pull off the same trick I did with Adam. But it was the strength of his fast in his weakness. He was prepared to win the confrontation of temptation. Fasting helps you overcome. Fasting is part of the weaponry to overcome. And he invades Satan's space. And then it says, those who sat in the valley of the shadow of death, a great light has dawned. Oh, I have a feeling there's coming the dawning of a great light in America because they're sitting in the valley of the shadow of death and in the nations of the earth. But there is a fasting movement coming that's being moved by the spirit, not the flesh. I'm not into religious sacrifices. They don't work. Try to do 40 days of fasting or 10 or one. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, you'll be bo eating bonbons by noon. <laughs> it's true. So that day I prayed. That why when Bob Fisk guy came, Lord, if this is you, I'm reading this book. If this is you, have somebody give me a dream that I'm dropping an atomic bomb. The guy walks up to me that evening. Hey, I had a dream you were last night. Luke, you were flying this huge plane. You were dropping an atomic bomb. These are just weird things that happen to me. They'll happen to you if you open yourself up to the whirlwinds of God around you. So that wasn't enough for me. So 
This guy named Paul Cain was a prophet. Still is one. Went through some hard times. It doesn't mean that he's disqualified forever. Thank God for his grace. He prophesied stadium Christianity. The days are going to come when the football fields of America are not used for football. But days and days of signs and wonders. I happen to believe that prophecy. He was coming to our church. He didn't know me, didn't know my wife. He was coming to our church. So I said, God, if you want me to write this book fast forward, to go into the millennium and call the world whatever, the 40 days of fasting, have him give me a prophecy. Have him call me out by name. And have him use Ecclesiastes 11.1. Cast your bread upon the water. In other words, throw your revelation of fasting out on the water. And secondly, don't eat bread. I'm sitting on the left side there in the mid-back. My wife and I, he calls my wife out by her first name that no one knows. Joanne. we, We call her Therese. By her and her birthday. And then he calls me out by my middle name, Dean. Calls me out my middle name, Dean. I just love this story. And he says, you don't know why your name is Dean, but you're going to find out. And then he says, and I see that you're skinny because you are fasting. And the Lord says, cast your bread upon the waters. Part of my calling in life is because of the prophetic confirmations that I have faith for extended fast for breakthroughs in the heavens. You say, well, Lou, you don't have to do that. You may not have to, but I do. Because I'm going to answer to God as to the DNA of my storyline, not you. But if I've been made a voice in America, you might want to listen. I'm not saying that arrogantly. Everyone's got to hear God. Sometimes God didn't tell you to fast when everyone else is, so don't. You'll get your time. <laughs> I remember going on a fast in 2009. I, went, I was going out to the woods. Nowadays, I have to go somewhere else because I just don't have any more self-control. If I'm close to a refrigerator, it's over with. <laughs> Ask my wife. I got to go, go go to the woods. Thank God for a, a woman of God who allows her husband to go to the woods and fight those battles. Hey, it's going to 2009. Again, the Lord confirming to me. And I have a dream right before I go to the woods. In the dream, my belly's being operated on. Cool dream. <laughs> I wake up and I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something that you want to operate on my appetites? So I would live like a Daniel in the Babylonian culture for the highest impact to release heaven's invasion of principalities and powers. I'm getting in this fast. We're doing it on water. Water is fasting man's best friend. It's miserable, but it it works. (laughs) And I'm in the middle of this fast. This prophet lady emails me. She says, I had this dream, and in this dream, you were laying down in this place in the woods where you were fasting. 
She doesn't know what's going on. And she said, in the dream, five angels came into your room and operated on your belly. And they took the book of Daniel, lit it on fire, and sealed it into your belly. (laughs) And the scene changed. And all these young people began to gather to you with t-shirts that shed the sons of thunder. Man, that was, you know what the sons of thunder, the prophet says sons of thunder, they're the great musician wave of evangelists that are coming. And when they loose their roar, it's going to be more powerful than the Beatles. It's going to sweep a generation. We're believing for a new breed of evangelists with signs and wonders because the Jesus fast is preparing the way for the Jesus movement. I'm, you're going to talk on Psalm 110, so I won't, but I wish I could. But in some ways, I want to. So let me just get, bring you a little bit into my story. I'm not much of a Bible teacher. I'm a pretty decent storyteller. So is Jesus. And... If you've heard it before, it's okay to hear a story a second or a third time. Because you see, we have to, in one sense, we have to be students of our own storyline. You've got to go back through your journals to figure out where you came from so you know where you're going. Because those prophetic whirlwinds in your life were not just isolated wind movements of a windmill. They were actually huge chapter titles of the next stage of your story. In those whirlwinds were seeds of DNA that when you received them, they pointed you somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? To me, this is absolutely stunning that God is committed to the epic story he wrote about my life. And there are moments of time that there's long seasons of wilderness where God hardly speaks to see if you still believe he's the author and the finisher. I I just love, I I think I've shared it, but I'll just share it again because I love it so much. The story of Joseph, if you would graph his life, loved by his father, hated by his brothers. Has a dream, he'll rule the world, hated more by his brothers. Thrown into a pit, goes to Potiphar's house, becomes a slave, rules Potiphar's house. Falsely accused of rape, doesn't get bitter. Because it's part of the storyline. You got to go through pain to produce the prophecy that he called. Pain prepares you to reign. If you reject the pain, you'll never reign. Thrown into prison, interprets a dream and rules in prison, forgotten in prison. 17 years into the storyline, he interprets Pharaoh's dream and it all comes true. You do the graph and you draw a line under it. It's a crown. 
He's the author and the finisher of your faith. I know faith is coming into many of your lives. It looks like it's so bad. But if there's an author and a finisher, then listen, he is able to do what he has imprinted and inscribed upon your soul. And if you messed up so bad, he is able actually to write a new script. (laughs) I hope this gives you faith and encouragement. I don't know if there's anything in the last 10 years that has encouraged me more that God has a story of my life. And if I go back and look at the moments of time, I'm seeing the incredible brilliance of his wisdom leading me on into the fulfillment of that story. Again, it's not just our story. It's a story much bigger than us. I look back in 1984 when we moved to California, and I'm reading the story of Azusa Street Revival by a man named Frank Bartleman. The, the, the book lights me on fire. Ever read a book that lights you on fire? Well, Moses had a burning bush. I had a burning book. <laughs> when something lights you on fire, come and draw near to it. You may be hearing your name being called. Take off your shoes and worship God because it is the spirit that lights the flame inside. And I cry out to God, give me the mantle of Frank Bartleman. I don't want to read about revival. I want to see it. 1906, he's fasting so much, they think he's going to die. When I'm reading the book, I feel like I'm, I'm that guy. He's living in the same city as I'm living. He walked on the same streets a hundred years before. I feel like I'm being trailed by a ghost. The Holy Ghost. That was in him. (laughs) Come on. You see, we're a part of stories that were told long ago. And their stories are still being written in us. John Edwards' bones may be rattling on earth, but he is in heaven. And he's not just watching. I think he's interceding for companies like this that they would fulfill the dream. I want to give us hope tonight. I am a prisoner of hope because of the prophecies and promises of God. You may have heard me tell it, but 20 years ago, I was in California preaching And this was going to be my message to a youth group that I had never spoken to before, didn't know them. I was invited to come. And I was going to tell them that they're the great, 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 great grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards. And just like God showed mercy, or David showed mercy to Jonathan and showed mercy to Mephibosheth, a broken generation... But because of his covenant with Jonathan, he showed mercy to a broken generation. I said, so too, God is going to remember his covenant with Jonathan Edwards. And he's going to show mercy to the great, great grandchildren of New England. Come on. Of course, I told nobody what I was going to preach on. They had some kind of greetings, you know, something. So this Mephibosheth kid walks up to me. Hey, Mr. Ringel. Yeah, who are you? Well, I just found out this week 
I'm the great, 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 great grandson of Jonathan Edwards. And I started flipping out inside. I had been praying that for 20 years. There's hope for the youth of New England. Because there's a covenant that still rests here. This is what you do. You take these promises. And you bring them. And you rub them into the face of God. That sounds kind of discourteous. That's what Luther said. Martin Luther said. He said, I take the promises of God and I rub them into the face of God. Come on. Get out of our passivity. Get those promises and begin to plant them in the face of God. You said, you said, you said, you said. It's how you pray. I'm all for quiet prayer, but prayer in the Bible is like a Middle Eastern bazaar. You barter with God. It's like Abraham before God on behalf of Sodom. Give me 40, give me 40, give me 40, give me 30, 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 give me you said, and you remind him until he finally gets it. Forgive me. He gets it. But intercessors are, are like secretaries that remind God of his appointments. You said, hey, and when you know that you're entering into the divine moments of time, you really set yourself in with fasting and prayer, and you get a hold of God to turn it. I feel we're moving into that hour and to that day. I cried out, give me the mantle of Frank Bartleman. I wasn't playing games with my destiny. Some of us need to lock ourselves away. Get out of this. Well, maybe God will tell me. Maybe you should wrestle with God. Bless you. I won't let you go until you bless me. And I cried for hours. Give me this mantle. A Frank Bartleman, the next day my brother walks up to me, some guy walks up to me, he's a prophet, he says, Lou, I had a dream last night. In this dream I saw a big black book, and the title said Revival. I said, I turned the inside of the cover, he said, and I saw a guy's face, and his name was Frank Bartleman. And his face turned to your face, Lou. I know the title of the book that God wrote about my life. It's revival. And it's about an intercessor that got a hold of God at Azusa Street and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And God washed the color line away in the blood. America needs another Azusa Street right now. America must have an outpouring of the Spirit. My hope's not in these elections. My hope is in the God who can renew the face of the earth of these outpourings. Not that we diminish elections, but I tell you what, I, I don't know what to tell you. Thank you, son. I've told this before. Next day, next week, I was in a, a women's aglow meeting. I wasn't a woman. I wasn't aglow. I wasn't speaking. I was just there thinking at the end of the meeting, why, are he, why am I here with all these ladies? African-American lady walks up to me and says, 
You know, in 1906, there's this black lady praying with this guy named Frank Bartleman. She says, I feel like I'm that black lady looking for that Bartleman. I said, lady, we got to talk. Can I just tell you, as I'm telling you these stories tonight, do not compare yourself with my stories. When I read Lauren Cunningham's book, Is That Really You, God, years ago, I said, God, I want to live a supernatural life. I want my life to be a storyline of adventure and glory. And he's answered that prayer. I want you to lift your hands and say, God, make my life supernatural. I'll follow your voice. Just speak to me. I'll throw it all out. I'll go for it. But make my life supernatural. Go ahead and pray. Lift your voices, New England. Stop this passivity. God, take my life and make it extraordinary, God. Father, right now, you're raising up ministries to shake New England. They don't even know it, but a dream is coming, a vision, a prophetic voice, and it will be a moment that turns into a movement. I tell you, this moment right here can turn into a movement. You've got to be willing to obey when he speaks. That's the hard thing. That's when you get killed. That's when people start hating you. That's when you lose your bank accounts, but you're not bored anymore. That's the deal. And I'm serious. We treat the word of God like it's something we can bargain God with. Thank you. More is gained in one moment of revelation than a lifetime of calculation. We reason ourselves out of the prophetic word because it doesn't make sense. Follow me and tax collectors and fishermen leave everything. And everybody's saying, well, that's your job. I got to take care of your kids. I don't know. But I heard the voice. I'm not saying be stupid. But they'll think you are. Set me on this journey. Praying for revival in America. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but you know, the call was born. And thousands gathered together to fast and pray for the last 15 years. It was a John the Baptist kind of, just raw, ugly, wonderful gatherings of a pack of nobodies that believed they could shape history through prayer and fasting. Like a man named Derek Prince said, who also said that Boston is the Jericho of America. And when Boston falls and the walls of intellectualism falls, God will pour out his spirit on all of America. The question is, What do you do with a prophecy like that? I think sometimes we just let the prophecy sit on the file over on the porch or something. You know what that is? You can't live in peaceful coexistence anymore with the spirit of Boston. You can't just walk through its halls and just feel like, well, you know, someday God... That's a call for war. Somebody's got to encircle the walls. 
But see, you like, what does that know? But I'll talk more about it. We came here in 2006 with a vision of raising up a house of prayer that would contend with every other house. I wrote about it in a house that contends. You're here. You're in my book. That doesn't make it great. God wants a house of prayer that will set itself up at the gates of Harvard and every university espouses and proliferates antichrist philosophies that are discipling a whole generation in a way that leads to death. Ideas have consequences. It was said that the ovens of Auschwitz were formed at the universities of Europe 100 years before the Holocaust. Today is no different. 54 million acts of abortion since 1973 were forged by the humanistic philosophies taught in the hollowed halls of Harvard and other institutions. And we're just peacefully coexisting with these things. A prophecy demands a response. Just love Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I want to tell you, when the kings of the earth, Harvard and all, have have had their rebellion, God says, I've installed my son on hilltop. I've installed my son on his holy mountain. And son, this is how you're going to do This is how you're going to challenge the conspiracy of kings. Ask of me. I'll give you nations as your inheritance. The ends of the earth is possession. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then it says, stretch out your rod. I like that better than scepter. Scepter's kind of nice, but rod. (laughs) Stretch out your rod out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. The house of prayer is not just some kind of singular, you know, devotional club. Thank God for the root of devotion. But the house of prayer is the war engine of heaven. He stretches out the rod of authoritative intercession where in the midst of enemies. The best place for the house of prayer is right where everyone is raging against Christ. Wham! God gives his prophetic word. As you're worshiping around the throne, the Zion company, the assembly around the throne, the Lord stretches out his, his rod out of the assembled company in prayer. When the anointing of worship comes and there's that heavy glory, suddenly the prophetic word goes and you stretch out that rod and you begin to use prophecies like a battering ram. Bam! Bam! And you just start pounding. Lord, you said that the walls of Jericho, of Boston are coming down. God, we declare it in you. You know what I'm saying? We have nice little coffee and donut prayer meetings. But Paul called them wrestling matches. For our wrestling match is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. It means that someone is going to get on top of someone else, throw them to the ground, and pin them. That's what it is to wrestle. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I have the answers, but I am saying 
I believe that God is raising up a company who gather around that throne and they make war. War is politically incorrect in Boston. We can't even preach the Bible anymore lest we would offend somebody. But the Bible is replete with war. (laughs) Imagery in prayer. Well, we better not say that. They think we're just a pack of terrorists. We are. (laughs) But we don't terrorize people. We terrorize principalities and powers with the word of the Lord. Stretch for your scepter out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. Then it says, your people will volunteer freely in the day of battle, that day of power. There's another scripture there. It's a hard translation. It could be in the day of your force of arms. Or it could be in the day of battle. Can I tell you, I believe that God wants to release something called the day of battle. That is not just a day. It's seasons. When the Holy Spirit leads us into contending prayer and we don't take no for an answer. They're like 40 day fasts. 30 days of day and night battering rim. Breakthroughs when the Lord speaks to us. I feel like the Lord has given me these 40 day things. Not so that we could try to not eat. Miserable vocation. But because he's calling for days of battle in the heavens so that Joshua the evangelist could win the evangelistic battle on the ground, they move together. Moses is on top of the hill. What's the name of this? Oh, yes. You didn't just name it because it's a good name. As long as he held up his hands, the victory was going on the ground. I want to just say, I believe, I I remember in the the 80s, in the 80s, we're from Hades. But we had some breakthroughs. And I remember 30 days of fasting with about 20 people. The Lord was beginning then to show me the power of the extended fast and battering ram intercession. And for 30 days, every night we would gather and pray for prophetic worship that would lead people to Christ right down during the worship services. And on the 29th night, I was caught up into travail and I knew something was going to go on. On that 30th day, that Sunday morning, we were worshiping God. I began singing, we gaze upon your purity. We gaze upon your beauty. We gaze upon your loveliness. Holy incense do we bring. And we gaze into an open heaven. And when I said that, a bomb dropped in the place. An explosion took place. People started screaming and shouting, saying, we see angels. Nobody can preach. And people started getting converted in worship without altar calls. And the Lord began to show me, I tell you, I'm going to raise up the day of battle. I'm going to raise up the day of battle. To win things in the heaven. And I encourage us that when we have 40 days, maybe we should not just have 40 days of fasting. What if 25 or 30 would gather every night and say, pound this and break through in Harvard. 
connected with YWAM evangelism and see if something begins to break. I've just come out of 40 days at USC and the evangelist says, in all our time in the last three years, more have been saved, more openings in the next last 40 days. Why? I think because the heavens are being cleared by the demonic power and the evangelism breaks out. This is what I'm trying to explore, the day of battle. Let me go forward with my story. We came here in 1906. I feel that old. Do you remember Daryl Bethany? 2006. God led us here to pray for Harvard. 40 days and 40 nights. 70 people. Sean Foster and gang with the cause or whoever we were. It was ugly, but it was glorious. I never forget. We had a dream. Here's another thing. The contending house of prayer gets divine intelligence. So that we're not shooting in the air, but we're actually hitting the mark. At that point of time, Iran was raging against Israel. And the Lord was speaking to us from Daniel 10, the prince of Persia. And one of our guys has a dream to turn to Jeremiah, whatever it was, 47. We turn it to it, and it's about the Elamites who are going to come to the Lord in the last days. And we find out that the Elamites are the Persians. We went into this fast, and remember, we took that thing on. I don't know how we did it, but we declared the victory of the cross over Iran. I think there might have been a million people worldwide fasting. I remember that word had spread from Boston across the globe. Noah, you were there in that whole thing. We were praying this word that had given to us by divine intelligence praying. One girl was on 35 days of water and she has a dream and in the dream a Middle Eastern man appears to her and the Middle Eastern man says, if you don't stop praying the way you're praying, I'm going to kill you and she says in the dream, there's a blood better than mine and and the Middle Eastern man goes and begins to fly away from her like in centrifugal force. I believe something broke. I don't know when it started, but I do know over the last 10 years, thousands and thousands of Muslims are being saved in Iran. And I believe something broke in Boston. And if it can break there, it can break in Boston. It can break here, but he's going to raise up a house of prayer that stands there. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He with clean hands and a pure heart. Christ has risen. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We are seated with him, but he wants us in experiential union and agreement so that when we pray with divine intelligence, I don't know if I'm communicating, but I'm thinking new ways. I want to have a prayer movement that's not just nice. We pray to win. Tonight we make war on philosophies, thought systems that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. He says it. Our warfare is not carnal, but mighty. But we live in peaceful existence. We almost forget the prophecy. Well, I feel like tonight war is being called. Fasting, prayer in the heavens, signs and wonders and evangelism on the ground. 
Raising up Daniels in high places. It all goes together. We did the call over those years. And then these YWAM. Oh, oh yes. And then I, I want to go there. At the end of that 40-day fast, I think we called it Esther fast. Like what was wrong with us? After that fast, the whole company was vomiting. It was like war everywhere. It was such an intense war. I was actually going back to Pasadena to the centennial of the Azusa Street Revival. They had asked me to preach. I'm just going to tell you my story. I asked you, and I, I wanted to do Frank Bartleman. I, I thought maybe this is the hour of Frank Bartleman's intercession to break open the Azusa Street Revival and whatever. You know, do you ever think that way? You ever inject yourself into the storyline of history? And I wanted to do Bartleman so much. And then my friend Chris Berglin spoke to me right at that time. It was like our last day or two days before we were done. And he said, Lou, last night I had a dream that was more than a dream. It was an encounter with Frank Bartleman in the great cloud of witnesses. Now, that might be strong, heavy for you to take, but folks, this world is filled with things we don't see. There is a great cloud of witnesses, and I don't just think they're dancing in the balconies. I don't think they're waltzing with angels. I think they're groaning for us. What will you do with our legacy? John Wesley looking on tonight and George Whitfield. What, how will you live your life in the light of the first great awakening? Frank Bartleman appears to him and in, the, in this encounter he says, I was in a realm of perfect knowing. Frank was glowing. There was radiance. And he said, Something to the effect, we know Lou Engle in heaven. He knew it because of our covenant together. And says, sometimes we see some of our men go down, down, down until they come back up. I, I didn't think that was a very good word. <laughs> but I pondered it in my heart. You know what? The Lord knows the seasons of struggle in our lives. He even said to Peter, you're going to deny me, but I prayed for you because you're going to come up and strengthen your brothers. I went home. I went back to California to preach at the Centennial and I came, I was so tired and weary. I came under a demonic oppression and I basically said to the Lord, I'm not Bartleman, I can't do Bartleman and I won't do Bartleman. It's probably not a good thing to say. And I was actually angry when I was preaching at the Centennial. Last year I talked to some guys, was I angry at that Centennial? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you kind of were, Lou. <laughs> I was angry at God and I was angry at me because I just couldn't live out that Bartleman. After two months of being away from the home with my family, I came back. And there I walked into my bedroom in Pasadena and my Bible was open to the book of Jonah. And suddenly I was shocked because the first message I ever preached from a pulpit was entitled Down, Down, Down. 
how Jonah had gone down to Joppa, down into the bottom of the ship and down into the belly of the well, running from his calling. And for the last 10 years, I've been in the battle of my soul in ways that I just can't tell you. But I want to tell you, the storyline is not over with. Yeah. We did this John the Baptist thing. We did. This, which to, to me, whether it was, I'm not John the Baptist. Somebody's going to start quitting. Lou says he's John the Baptist. Listen. It's amazing how Elijah shows up to you all the time. Weirdos. After the call, DC, I'm hugging my son in the back of that big, huge stadium. I mean, the big stage. My 13 year old boy, we're weeping. Dad, it was worth it. It was worth it to fast. And I look up on my side, and there's this guy coming. Oh, no. Some weirdo. He walks up to me. I said, Yes. He says, I am Elijah. <laughs> nice to meet you. The next day I was preaching in this, I was preaching, and I said, Elijah never confronted Jezebel. The guy's in the audience. He stands up. I will confront her. <laughs> it's amazing who stalks you. Come on, Dan Bauman's laughing. I've had you got some of those stories. And then these YWAMers come into my living room three years ago, four years ago, and again, they mess me up. Circuit rider, YWAMers, I don't know who. Huh? Yeah, you guys. And they said there's coming a shift to the call, and it will not be just fasting and prayer, but the proclamation of the gospel, signs and wonders, and stadiums are going to be filled, and Billy Graham's mantle's coming on the nation, and my spirit leapt inside because I remember praying for three years that stadiums would be filled with John the Baptist, kind of Nazarite, and I saw it happen, and faith was born in my heart to believe if it happened for that, what about a Jesus movement? That so many people are going to get saved in America. It's not about stadiums. It's about an overflow of a divine revival that's coming. For two days we deliberate. I say maybe the call will become the send. At the end of our two days, this prophet guy calls my friend. Hey, do you know where Lou Engle is? If you do, tell him I had a visitation last night. Tell him I had, a dr I had this visitation. And the Lord said, there's coming a shift to the call. And it will not be just fasting and prayer, but it will be the proclamation of the gospel. Signs and wonders and stadiums are going to be filled. And Billy Graham's mantle's coming on the nation. At that point, I said, yes. And I begin to turn a moment into a movement. The word of faith comes. And now the word of faith creates a faith paradigm. That you begin to turn it into prayer. And the prayer begins to release it into a movement. When the word comes, you don't ignore it. You carry it, as was talked last night, and you begin to gestate that holy thing that has come to dwell. And for three years, I've been praying for stadiums to be filled. And then, because we pray, 
We are actually creating a landing strip in our souls for a new prophetic whirlwind. Because to those who have, more shall be given to them. The more you exercise faith, the more the dream stream rolls into your life. If you hang around the dream king, you get into a dream stream, you join yourself to a dream team, you do the Martin Luther King thing. Thank you very much. You make history with God. And I'm in the call, Berkeley, praying. And I know some of you heard this, but I'll just give it again. I'm in the call, Berkeley, and I got, if I could, could I just do this in 15 minutes, if I could run this thing down? Because if I, I feel, it's important that we don't overestimate ourselves. But it's also important that we don't underestimate who we are in Christ. John the Baptist had no struggle saying that he was the guy in Isaiah 40. That's so amazing. Who do you say that you are? Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah the prophet? No. Then who are you? What shall we tell the people that are asking us? He says, I am the dude you've been reading about in Isaiah 40 all these years. I am the voice crying he wasn't struggling with low self-esteem. God wants to baptize us in confidence of who we are as sons and daughters of God. We got this thing in this false humility. I'm just a nobody. I'm trying to look at the storyline of my life. And the more I look at it, I'm thinking providence has set things into motion. And in some ways I feel that my story is some kind, if I could say it, a timepiece for the comings of seasons and changes. And I'm there in Berkeley and the Lord speaks to my heart. Call the African-American man of the Azusa Street organization. I had had an argument or something with him six years ago. His name was Fred Berry. Fred Berry had pursued me. I had ignored it. The Lord said, son, you got to deal with this. I call him. We get reconciled on the call. He initiates something that's changed my life forever. He says, Lou, the call Azusa is still waiting for you. Suddenly, the first chapter of 84 makes sense. Because if the call Azusa is waiting, so is the Bartleman intercession still on. Come on. Do you see what I'm saying? There are parts in novels that are dropped in the novel and they make no sense until about five or ten chapters later and suddenly they come up and you put the novel together. No, you don't even get it. Thank you very much. You've got to study. God studies your story. It sticks me like an arrow. Pay close attention to prophetic words that don't get out of your heart. They land inside of you and you can't pull it out. And so I'm praying and the thought distills upon my mind. Look up April 9th, 2016. The 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. It's a Saturday. That's the thought. In other words, Lou, you could hold the call that day. Ooh, I excited to Google. However, 
I don't think I have safari, but it's a Saturday. And I'm thinking, yes. So I call my prophetic friend who gave me the Bartleman word. I say, Chris, this is what's going on. He says, Lou, do you remember my dream in 2013 when we were fasting 40 days? No. In the dream, I received five sets of five plane tickets. And in the dream, I could only fly United Airlines. Can I tell you, I th- that was the key to the dream. I believe God is saying, if the church doesn't unite, this nation cannot be saved because only a united church can save a divided nation. I believe that the pressure, the race issues are driving us back to his original intention so that we could be all together in one place and in one accord for the outpourings of the Spirit. He said, we could only fly United Airlines. He says, I was concerned that I would miss the expiration date. So I looked up the expiration date and it was in 1,080 days. I woke up out of the dream. I looked up 1,080 days. It landed on April 9th, 2016, the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. And my friend said, I don't know if you're going to do the call on that day, but I believe that Southern California at that day will be in maybe one of the greatest times of awakening in its history. When I get prophetic words like this, it's not a time to clap. It's a climb to put our head between our knees like Daniel's 70 years and say, bring this. I And suddenly, I'm coming back to Boston for the 110th anniversary. And I feel my Bartleman calling is still on. And I've come back to talk about the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival at a 110 conference. I think he's raising up his church on a hill right now to stretch out their rod God gave me an audible voice on my first 40-day fast in 1996 when we launched a Moravian uh, lampstand prayer meeting and I heard the audible voice of God in a dream. Stretch forth a wakening rod over the earth. Will you do that? I feel under the constraints of that word like I have never felt it. I am commanding awakening. I've still got stories to tell you. Now, Lord... Now this thing is churning. God, do you want me to do the call in Los Angeles, Azusa? I've got three people on my staff. I have no money. I'm thinking, oh, we can do something small and it won't have to bother me. And then the Lord begins to mess with you because he will always ask you to do all this way beyond all that you can possibly do so that you must take the risk to believe that he will get all the glory because you could never pull it off on your own. And this lady, prophet lady, calls me, emails me, and she says, you know, uh, in Washington State, I had this dream and I saw this big stadium. It was both a football field and it was also a baseball field. She said the dream was so vivid, I woke up and Googled to see if there was any stadiums in America that were both the Super Bowl and the World Series. She said there's only one in America, the Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles. And she says, I think you're supposed to do the call Azusa there. Now, David, Kim, and I had just gone to the stadium for some bizarre reason. 
We'd gone to the Colosseum, and we just, I don't know how we got in. They just let us in. And we claimed it for stadium Christianity. Be careful what you claim. (laughs) And I thought, well, Lord, if we're going to do this and there's going to be signs and wonders, all I've done in my life is fasting. I haven't done too much preaching the gospel and signs and wonders. I thought that was YWAM's job. (laughs) Forgive me. I've done some evangelism. People started to tell me I'm an evangelist. I just don't get it. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking, if there's going to be signs and wonders, the first person I got to connect with is Bill Johnson. I said, I got to, because I got to know if we're doing this some signs and wonders are going to start. I can't get a hold of Bill for nothing. Try to meet with him in Switzerland and it doesn't work or Amsterdam. And, and then by a bizarre circumstance, I find myself in a restaurant with him in London writing a book on the Jesus fast. Oh, I wish I could tell you that story. I tell him the story and he says, Lou, the Lord talks to you in these most crazy, wonderful ways. He says, I've been feeling all week long. I cannot go to South Africa. Now I know why. I'm canceling and will throw the whole Bethel movement into this thing. And we will go after stadiums with signs and wonders. And then David Kim has a dream that Daniel Kalinda, Reinhard Bonnke's evangelist son, is preaching in the stadium and there's a pool there and people are jumping in the pool getting healed. So I call him and give it. I tell him the story. He says, I'm canceling stadiums in South America. I'm coming. I don't need an honorarium. I don't need to speak. I'm coming. Give us some men like that who are not looking for a stage. They just want God. They're throwing their television, their media into it. And we want to say, everyone who's sick, come to Azusa. Because if you can come to Azusa, you can get healed. Azusa is an Indian name from a woman named Komali, who in the 1700s prayed for a chief to get healed. He was healed. He gave her the name Azusa, which means a blessed miracle. And the word spread, if you could just get to Azusa, you can get healed. We're just shouting out, just bring all your sick. Bring them and just get healed. I want to have an expectation that we're in the season. We've been seeing signs and wonders, but we feel there's a breakthrough like in the 1950s where there's going to be 10 meetings everywhere with the most miraculous signs and wonders. Folks, we haven't seen the fullness of Christ. So I said, Lord, okay. All right, God, I, I still didn't have faith. I didn't have any money and I'm thinking the thing's going to cost me a million and a half dollars or something like that and I hate fundraising and I don't like talking to people that's not true honey I mean I I would rather pray quickly help me Lord but I want to tell you this story because I'm not telling you just because it's a cool story I feel wherever I go there's the water level of expectation begins to arise everywhere for evangelism, for a Jesus movement. 
So finally, on April 9th, on the 109th anniversary, it was just a few months ago, I go to the stadium with my team to look at it. I walk in there, that thing, can we show a picture of that? You got it? You, you, you got that picture? I just want to show you this. That's, that's Billy Graham, 1963. 134,000 and 20,000 couldn't get in. But I think the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. I, I don't know if that creates faith in my heart. <laughs> I first saw it. David Kim gave it to me for a wedding, and David honored for a wedding gift. I think, thanks a lot. <laughs> Suddenly got depressed. <laughs> I'm at the stadium with our team. And the lady says, yes, this is the place where the first Super Bowl was held. And Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers that won the game. Well, a couple of you knows that, but most of you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. 20 years ago, I was in a revival in Mott Auditorium in an outpouring of the Spirit. And one night, I'm called by two 11-year-old girls, Asian girls, and their mom into Mott Auditorium at midnight. And I record and weep for four hours as they describe the angelic realm. Uh, it's the most amazing encounter. But one moment in the whole thing stunned me more than all of it. When they together, these two 11-year-old girls begin to prophesy, much too small, much too small. Stadiums will be filled. There's Vince Lombardi in heaven. I said to them, do you know who Vince Lombardi is? They said, no, we've never heard of him but he's got a football helmet on in heaven. I've been praying for 20 years. Is there coming a Super Bowl for the church? I've been praying for 20 years. Why was Vince Lombardi in that stadium? Why was he in their word? And then if that weren't enough, the historian told us the story of the Colosseum. And he looks at me and he says, if you build it, they will come. Not knowing that's my movie. So I go to Bonnie Bray that night where the revival began in 1906, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a little house on Bonnie Bray Street. I'm there at 11 o'clock at night and I'm praying. And at 11 o'clock at night, I realize, oh, I'm 40 years old in the Lord. I got saved in 75 in the Jesus movement. And I just felt stirred. And I said, God, where could I hold up and fast for 40 days before I turned 41 years old to the Lord on October 9th yesterday? I said, where can I hold up? Because it's 40 years and I want to move into the promised land of revival. God, where can I hold up and fast for 40 days? I'm walking out. An African-American guy grabs me. He says, Lou, I've got to talk to you. She says, I had a dream of you last night. And in the dream, I said to my wife, Lou's looking for a place to hole up and fast for 40 days. And he's going to fast in the corner of Jefferson and Hoover in the Methodist building on the campus of USC. He shares this with me. I'm freaking out because the football field is USC's football field. And when I went to Pasadena in 2012, we received a dream that we were fishing in a portal called USC, 
And when we got up under us was WM. It was USC to USC WM. USC to the US Center for World Mission. There's coming a university movement of souls that's going to unleash a student volunteer missions movement. And he says, I'm going to hole up there. Last night was the last day I went and lived in an office in that old Methodist building. And for the last 40 days, we've been fasting and praying that God would pour out his spirit. And I'm thinking, if it's the Jesus fast, then you can bet there's a Jesus movement coming. I came to the final story of this. And folks, there comes a time in your life There comes a time in your life where the treasure is more important than anything. And I still didn't have the money. And I felt like the Lord, as I shared last night, said, Lou, sell your house that was given to you and buy the field. And joy exploded in my spirit. When a man finds a treasure, Hidden in a field. He goes and sells all that he has to buy the field with joy for the treasure. Folks, I would rather have revival than a billion dollars. I would rather see a Jesus movement. I'd rather see something. That, you say, Lou, you don't have to do that. You've got to hear a word from God. But when it comes, it creates joy. But I still have to have the confirmation. So I went to my wife. She said, let's do it, Lou. Thank God for my hallelujah lassie. My, my kids said, I said to my kids, it's our inheritance. It's your inheritance. They said, ah, oh, dad, God will provide for us. We have a spiritual inheritance. We want to walk your kind of life. I boast in God. I still didn't have faith. I walk into a restaurant. A guy named John Arnott, leader of the Toronto Revival is there. He hardly greets us. He looks at me and starts urgently saying, buy the field, Lou. Buy the field. Buy the field. Buy the field. And I'm freaking out. I went to the lady that bought me the house. She's 92 years old. She's paid my salary for 16 years. Believing that America can turn back to God. And I'm thinking, I'm going to tell her, I got to sell her house that she gave to me. Because she said to me, Lou, you're the son I never had. She adopted me 16 years ago. I love this lady. And... I told her the story. I said, please don't be offended. I think we're supposed to sell your house. Sell the house. And she looks at me and she says, it's necessary that you sell the house. I don't have the money I used to. It's your time. It's your calling. By the field. On April 9th, 2016, the 110th anniversary, I'm trying to lay hold of the title to my book. And it doesn't even matter if anybody else shows up. Because I've been called to be faithful. There comes a time when you, you throw everything out for the treasure of the kingdom. I don't say that boasting. My team has told me to tell this story and my board. Lest they think that people think that I'm being, what's the word, presumptuous. 
Now, I sure would like people to help me financially. That's not what I'm looking for. In fact, my board is wanting to hold up, hold up money so that afterwards I could begin to rent a place and the Lord put the fear of the Lord in me. And he says, don't you take anything because you've said that you would sell your whole house. And if it's not holy, it's an Ananias and Sapphira thing. You buy this field and you trust me. I tell you, this is what our forefathers did. They signed away their lives, their sacred honor for America. And maybe it's time for Boston to stop living for self-preservation. Raise a prayer evangelism and go after the centerpiece of the Great Awakening. They said, well, it's too hard. Well, that's what they said about Jerusalem. <laughs> they even killed the leader of the movement. God has a flaming tongue for Boston again and an upper room company. Stand with me. Oh God, I want revival. How many of you want revival? I'm talking historic revival. But how many of you say, I'm changing my lifestyle. I can't live the same way after hearing this message. I'm 63 years old. I've been 40 years I got saved in the Jesus movement. Oh, to have been in the Jesus movement. You guys, most of you know, everyone was getting saved in those days. Give us another day like that. I wonder if there are those today you don't, I don't really don't know what to really say. I want to drive you to the call.com. You want to help finance it. That's awesome. We ask you to mobilize it on your, all your networks and, Sound the alarm, come to Azusa. We're believing that the color line will be washed away in the blood. That every tribe and every tongue. A hundred years ago, William Seymour prophesied. That a revival far eclipsing Azusa Street is coming. We're in the window of that prophecy right now. He made it in 1913. We're in the time right now. I think it's time for the church massively to unite, to pray, and to go. How many of you say, I don't, know, I don't even know what to do, but if you feel like, God, I want to dedicate my life to revival. As a young man, I remember an apartment complex, late 20s, making $6 an hour sweeping, a boiler room with a mask on with red dust, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I've called you to be an instrument of revival and joy exploded in my heart. I began dancing. I've been thinking about that. It started with a little storyline and it's coming and I'm daring to believe it's the days of fulfillment. How many of you feel like I feel this burn for revival and you would like to lay yourself at the altar and say, God, make me an instrument of revival. Whatever it takes, I'm going to follow your voice. If you would just lead us in a song and go to the call.com for information. October 9th, I mean, April 9th and April 10th, you can come and join. We may be doing two days in the stadium. If that's you, you'd like to come and say, here am I, Lord. I set myself apart for revival.